I remember going to the store with my mom as a kid, and we had a Murphy's, a GC Murphy, Murphy Mart, a 5 and 10. Some of you may remember those long before Walmart or Amazon or eBay or any of that. We had the 5 and Dime, and it had this lower level that my mom always tried to keep me out of. Whatever else there was, she didn't want me to go down there because it was this triple threat for little boys. First, it had sporting goods. Back when sporting goods had things like uh, BB guns and slingshots in it, and then there was a pet section down there, and sometimes they had all different kinds of pets. They'd have hamsters and gerbils and goldfish and even lizards and sometimes rabbits and even some cats and dogs. And they had toys down there. The third thing they have is toys of every variety, G.I. Joe and superheroes and Transformers and Play-Doh and just everything that you could want. So you can imagine the highlight of my young existence when I had saved up enough money from my birthday or report cards, Christmas or whatever it was, relatives had sent me money, I'd done chores, I'd save it all up. And my parents, though, they'd make me stop first just down the street from there at the bank where my dad worked with my passbook and I had to put money in my savings account and then I had to go up the hill two blocks to my church and write out an offering envelope and put in my tithe and after that it was finally time to go down the stairs into the hallowed halls of the lower level of the the five and dime in my hometown in Elwood City Pennsylvania and I would go in there and man something would happen I'd start to look around and I realized with all I saved, I could buy an action figure for G.I. Joe, but what I really wanted was the G.I. Joe Mobat battery-operated tank. And it had something like 15 D batteries that would make it go, and it had motors, and I wanted to get that so I could run over the neighbor girl's Barbie dolls or something like that, and I didn't have enough money. In fact, I didn't have much money for whatever I wanted. If I wanted a fish, my parents would remind me that while I could get the fish, I couldn't afford the, the food and the little rocks in the tank and the rocks that went in the bottom of the tank. I couldn't afford any of that. I couldn't keep the fish in the little bag it came in. I couldn't do any of that. Frustrated, I realized I'd have to save my money even longer because it took me all summer to save up for a trapper keeper anyhow. And now I just had to wait again. Today we're going to enter into a new series about the parables of Jesus and we're going to see how these stories from God's Word are designed to connect us with the everyday audience as Jesus connected in His world seamlessly. These stories just made sense to the people in Jesus' world. They were relatable and concise, they had plenty of details, but they were easy to hear. However, they were not quite as easy to understand. Now, it's not because that people didn't have the ability to comprehend the stories. It's because the nature and depth of these parables. Now, these parables, there was a lot to them because they were designed to bring the spiritual and divine nature of Jesus' new kingdom, that kingdom of grace and of truth that we talked about, that we celebrated at Easter, that kingdom of redemption. And these parables were designed to bring the depth and the richness of that kingdom to life. The realities of these stories, that's what made them a little harder to understand. The callings they placed on people's lives, on our lives, make them a little more difficult for us to digest. Why? Because Jesus' kingdom and the calling that it places upon our lives, what he wants us to do, what he expects from us, 
It's not at all like our own ideas about our life, about our stuff, about our wants, our expectations, even about our, our faith. In fact, these parables are going to illustrate for us time and time again how we don't naturally connect with who Jesus is and what he's calling us to do. And that's why we're going to start today in the midst of these parables in God's word with this idea of counting the cost. Like I had to learn at the 5 and 10 when I was a second grader so many years ago. What Jesus calls us to do is often incompatible with our own lives, with what we think, what we feel should be just fine. What we decide is good enough, even sensible. But Jesus says, nope, it's not about my kingdom. And we're going to read today in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25 through 33. And as we do this, I want you to watch for three cannot phrases. Jesus clearly lays out in this passage three kinds of people who cannot be his disciple. Verses 26, 27, and 33 is where you want to watch for those. And beyond these prohibitions, he's going to tell us three things that are required to be his disciple. And those three requirements are broken up into three, three-word phrases for us. You must hate your family, bear your cross, and renounce your possessions. Now, this is shocking stuff, and you may be looking at me wherever you are watching this, and you may say, now, wait a minute. The Bible says to be responsible, like my parents were teaching me when I was so young, but not to hate stuff. The Bible says to honor your parents. This doesn't make any sense. I guess the Bible must be full of contradictions. Well, no, not at all. In fact, the Bible here is going to show us the depth of our calling to be disciples. Disciples is a word we like to use here at Stoprez. And this passage, tucked among these parables, wants to get the point across of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We call being a disciple being an ardent or passionate follower of Jesus. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at it today. So remember those three cannot phrases as we go into God's word in Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. Now the great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he had laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not sit down first and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. This is God's holy word. 
It's a powerful passage. And last week, we closed our Easter worship, learning about the grace of God and what it means and how Christ calls us to simply confess our need, to pray for our need to Him. This week, we're going to learn that while that's how we begin our faith in Jesus Christ, that's not all it takes to be a disciple, an ardent, a passionate follower of Jesus. Now, what does it take to be such a follower, to be so passionate about belonging to Jesus? It's something that borders in some ways almost on the point of obsession. Think about it this way. What is the most important thing to you in your life? Would you say it's family? Or if you're really honest, would you say it's success? Retirement, a sports team that you love. Maybe you're missing a sports team right now as much as, as I am. Maybe it's a hobby and you say, man, my real passion is doing this thing. Now, recently with everything going on in the world, I was learning a little bit about some things and I've been looking into ham radio. I thought it might be a cool thing to learn about given the state of the world. So I do what I often do. I went on YouTube to look up ham radio and watch some videos and man, some of them are really long. I am telling you, ham radio people are serious about this, this stuff. And it's cool because they want to explain it to you in real detail because to them it matters that much. It's so important. Now that may seem a little funny to you, but our first point today is that Jesus, it, he must be the most important thing, more important to you than anyone else, than anything else as we're going to learn. But think about the person that's the most important to you. If you ask me, what person on earth is the most important to me? I'd say my wife, Mandy, is the most important person on earth to me. I love my children. I love all of you. I love my friends. But the most important person on earth to me is my wife. But yet, as we read this passage, let's look at verse 26. Our first point reminds us that even those people in our lives, they can't be more important than Jesus. Verse 26 says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now again, this is some sensational statement. It's designed to grab our attention and draw us to the depth of what these parables are going to teach us in the weeks to come. Jesus is not saying that we should literally hate mom and dad. Some of you were like, finally, something in the Bible that I can relate to. No, 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 that's, that's not at all what we're saying. And maybe you're feeling that way because you've been stuck in quarantine fever a little too long. Maybe you're fighting over what to watch on Netflix. Or maybe you made the fatal error that parents and children often make and you decided to play a game of Monopoly together. Seriously, though, beyond all that, as we look in other places, we see that Jesus clearly rebukes the Pharisees for dishonoring their parents. You can look at passages like Matthew 15. They make it clear, and Jesus clearly teaches us that marriage is a wonderful and good thing and that we're supposed to be good parents and children are supposed to, to love their parents and all these different things. And so there's no relationship here. What God's telling us, there's no relationship not one as a parent or grandparent, a spouse or whatever. Jesus is making it clear, 
You cannot love mom or dad or your kids or even your husband or wife more than you love me and still be my disciple. It just doesn't work. What Jesus is clearly telling us is that he is the priority, the priority. And in the weeks to come, as we dig into these parables, we're going to understand how Jesus wants to change all these different areas of our lives. He is different than what we expected, and he calls us to a life that is different than what we would expect. The priorities will change as we learn from God's word what it means to belong to him. It's going to be beyond what we're comfortable with and even what we feel makes sense. These parables are going to show us time and time again, Jesus has different ideas and they're not going to be fluffy or easy ones. They're not once a week encounters with Jesus. They're encompassing. He's going to call us to some pretty radical and different directions for all of our lives than what we would come to on our own. And that is more than okay. It's actually really good for us because he loves us. He came to change our lives. And when you think about what it cost Jesus, what we just celebrated at Easter, it's a costly proposition. And if we're called to be more like Jesus, why do we think that following Jesus should be any less costly for us? And that takes us into our next point today. Jesus makes it very clear If you're going to follow me, it's going to cost you. Take a look at verse 27. Catch our second cannot phrase. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, as we just talked about during the Lenten season, Jesus is the only one who could take up his cross, the only one that could pay the price for all of our sin and rise again. So what does this mean for us? We aren't literally supposed to take up crosses and be nailed to them. If you saw at Easter, people in places like the Philippines, there's a small group of people there that actually do that. Well, no, that's not at all what Jesus is saying. So what does he mean? Well, Jesus is telling us that we must recognize who he is and what he did. What we could not do ourselves. We must recognize That because Jesus is the only one who can do those things to pay the price for our sins, and he came and did that and made that way to eternal life, because of that, we must recognize Jesus alone is worth whatever we endure in this life, whatever that may be. Anything we endure for the sake of Christ is worth it, because he is worth it. Yes, the kingdom of God is a party, if you heard people say that, and there's going to be a great party at the end of time. In fact, in one of our parables, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But the road to heaven is not always going to be easy for us, and Jesus wants to change our life here on earth. I think that right now in our world, with all that's occurred with this COVID-19 crisis, maybe this makes more sense to us now than ever before. Jesus is making it clear that we, like him, will have some trials and difficulties. I'm sure passages will spring to mind like John 16, where Jesus says, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. Jesus reminds us, I have conquered the world. And indeed, we learned a little bit about conquering a little bit and about how sometimes it's hard 
verses 28 through 30 in our passage here from Luke 14, Jesus tells a story of someone who began to build a monument and cannot finish it. Now, maybe you've seen one of those home remodeling shows where a couple or a family with the best of intentions, they do whatever they can to, to get their project done, but they just can't do it, and they have to call in a contractor to help. Well, that might make sense if you're redoing a, a small bathroom, but what about a whole monument? Does that sort of thing actually happen? Actually, yes, it does. If you go to Edinburgh, to Edinburgh, Scotland, and up on a hill outside the city, you can find a monument that was never completed. And it sits there with a sign in front of it, a plaque that says one thing on it, folly. You see, the person who wanted to build it, they, they ran out of money. They weren't ready. And just as that does happen in the real world, Jesus, in the real world, Jesus reminds us, he says there was a king who He's going to go off to war, and there's someone that's going to build a monument, and they, they run out of money, and this king, he goes off to war, and he doesn't have a plan. He doesn't have the resources ready. He finds that he's outmatched, and of course, when he can't win, he immediately sends in the diplomats to sue for peace. That's how our life feels. That's how it feels if we don't make sure that Jesus is the one in charge, if we think we're going to do this all on our own. What does Jesus say to us? What's he teaching us? Reading on in this passage, if we look at it, we're going to see that God is calling us to rely on him, to dwell on him, to find our something more in him. We don't have it in our hearts and in our souls to be these kinds of disciples, but Jesus, he's figured that all out for us. The great preacher, J.C. Ryle, he says in this, about this passage in his own commentary, why does the Lord use such language? Did he wish to discourage us from becoming his disciples? Did he mean to make the gates of light of heaven appear narrower than they actually are? Of course not. You see, Jesus did not come for that at all. But he wanted us to count the cost, to understand what it means, what it requires of us to become a disciple. I think Jesus here, he wants to be completely honest with us. Following him is not something we can do in our own power. It's certainly not something we can do based on our emotions or just some emotional decision. And you run forward and say, Jesus, I want you to have everything. I really do. But have we counted the cost of what that requires? It's not that our faith should lack emotion. In fact, as Presbyterians, I think sometimes we could use with a little more of that but as we're learning in our own world right now, our emotions, they can get the best of us as individuals, as nations, as the entirety of the human race. Emotions aren't going to get us through the trials and struggles in our lives. And Christ has come to show us there's a better way. And that way is following him. You see, Jesus, he wants us to know he's more than a momentary prayer. Our faith may start with a prayer, but it doesn't stay there. Real faith becomes something more. He is more than something we believed when we're just little or something we do at one moment in our life. And Jesus is not something we can just break down and put away on the weekend when we're all done. Jesus is not just a live stream we can watch for an hour a week or something we'll catch up on in between our busy things in life like it's an episode of our favorite TV show. 
though we're really glad that this is one of your favorite TV shows. Jesus, he's more than when things go well. Following him in times like these can seem like the most difficult thing we can imagine because everything else is just vying for our attention. Our emotions may even feel out of control. But Jesus is being honest with us that following him is going to take more, a lot more than what we have deep down inside. But one thing is for certain, it is going to take everything we have and more. Have you ever taken a moment to think about what following Jesus has cost you? I hope so, because at some point, whether it's now, whether it's been in the past, or whether in a day yet to come, following Jesus will likely cost you. And he's being honest and upfront with us that it's going to cost us everything and more. And that leads us to our final point this morning. Jesus is more important than our things. He's more important than our stuff. Now more than ever, this may hit home for you, and I don't want to be insensitive because this has been a hard time for many of us. Perhaps you're watching this today wherever you are and you've lost someone you love. Maybe you've lost your job or you've lost the, secu the security of some investments or your 401k is not what it was a month ago. And maybe things feel bleak and it's hard to hear. I get that right now. I, I, I really do. And it's easy for us to let that fear and that that grief and that uncertainty, that apprehension, grip our hearts and our souls. And that's exactly why Jesus wants to make sure that we're counting the cost, that we're understanding this process of discipleship. And he's going to lay that out for us in these parables in the weeks to come. Because often I don't think we see it, we don't realize it, we don't understand that they're called possessions for a reason. And if we're not careful, they can possess us. They can take control of our lives. It happens so easily, time and time again to us. It happens so quickly, we don't even realize it. Some of you may be naturally not wired this way. Maybe you're more like uh, Barnabas in the Bible or Joseph of Arimathea, who we learned about last week, who stepped out in faith and didn't worry about any of this and just, he paid for Jesus, he, he paid for the tomb, he gave him this beautiful tomb he had and, and anointed him with these expensive perfume and it didn't matter. Whatever Jesus needed, even at his death and his crucifixion, it was fine. Or maybe you're one of those people where this hits you hard and it's scary, it's difficult. We don't want to trust and we don't want to just let go. We want to hold on to this stuff. But Jesus makes it clear to us in verse 33 that we must renounce our claim on all earthly possessions. It's what he tells us. We've heard it before, but have we ever taken the time to think about what it required? As I was meditating on this passage this week, I couldn't help but think of Prince Harry. And I'm not here to pick on him. And, you know, my mom, if she was here, she loved the royals and watching them. And, you know, it, it, it's always interesting and fascinating to us to see how that works. But Prince Harry and, and his wife, uh, Meghan Markle, they, they decided they didn't want to be connected with the royal family, but they wanted to trademark their title from that kingdom. And they wanted to use it for their own gain. And you, you may remember 
the queen, she said, no way, that title belongs to the kingdom. It does not belong to you. You've renounced that claim. You don't have it anymore. You're out of it. Now, that's hard for us to hear, but that's true in Jesus's kingdom as well. Perhaps the, perhaps the inverse is true for us. We want to be admitted. We want to be into Christ's kingdom, the one that he ushers us in, that he welcomes us in at Easter, not just in his death, but in his resurrection, that the door has been opened, that we can have new life in Christ now and eternal life yet to come. If we are yet to be his followers, his disciples, those who are passionately, ardently seeking after him, but he wants us to know that we have to count the cost. We're called to be ready, to be prepared, to love him more than anything else, to be ready and willing to endure any trial or tribulation, to walk with him and to let go and leave behind any and all material possessions. Perhaps that's part of what Jesus is teaching all of us uniquely in the ways that we need to be led and we need to be taught. Perhaps he's teaching us a little bit about that right now. And I know it's a difficult time and I'm not meaning at all to hurt anyone's feelings. I'm very serious about this. I, I know it feels altogether unfair in some ways right now and some of us are struggling. This is more than unnerving to us. But Jesus is telling us, I'm right here. And if you would just let go of some of these things, you would be more able, more ready to hold on to me. And if you would do that, he wants us to know, he says, I would change your life. In that struggle of letting go of these things and holding on to Jesus, of counting the cost, we will come to see the depth of what it means that we belong to the one who has overcome the world. Even all these things we're encountering right now, and he's made a way for us to know not just eternal life yet to come, but a transformed life here and now. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's difficult. And it feels uncertain, but it's not uncertain at all to God. He sent Jesus to come that we would know what it means to belong to him. And Jesus, he knows what it feels like to be one of us. And he reminds us of what it takes to count the cost and lay down our lives that we are prepared for the calling that God has for us in his kingdom. And in that process, we are all made to be more like him. Even today, he's walking alongside of us. His spirit is dwelling within us. And while this feels hard and even impossible, Jesus says, take heart, I am with you and I will lead you. Just follow me and count the cost because I've already overcome this world. So just become a little more today, more of my disciple. I invite you to do that. Ask yourself some questions as we close today. What do I need to give in my life to Jesus? What have I, even without realizing it, unintentionally placed ahead of him? Is there anything that I am holding back? Just as we know that Jesus came for us and gave his life for us, we trust in him and belong only to him. He's our Savior, our Redeemer, and our Lord. So friends, today count the cost, not just for the kingdom yet to come, but the one that is here that Jesus is building inside of us as our church, because that's who we are. We are his kingdom come wherever we are, whatever circumstances we're facing in the midst of this time. 
through us, God is changing the world and he is changing us to make us more his people, to grow that faith up in us, that it would be better and deeper and that our lives would be more satisfying as we find our purpose, our fullness in him as we're all letting go of these other things. We're going to learn more about that in the weeks to come in these parables. But friends, today, what do you need to give to Jesus in your life? Is there anything that you or I are holding back? Let's pray. God, that you would have all of us, that you would take all of us this day. Lord, that we would know what it means to belong to you, that we would understand that there's no person that is more important than you. God, that we have to understand what it costs to belong to you. It costs us everything and that we can't hold on to our possessions, to our our power, to our titles, our prestige. But in all these things, God, we have to give all of them. We have to lay all of them down before you and belong more completely to you. God, if we're holding anything back, that we'd give it to you, that we would be passionate, ardent ardent followers of you. We pray this day in Jesus' name. Amen.